Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Okay, thank you. Uh, and welcome to our next session, which has to do with two uh, expert Indigenous people, Ed Champion and Stephen Jackson. So let's start with Ed first. Ed, can you tell me a little bit about your background, both academic and business, and in the Indigenous community? Sure. Um, starting with the Indigenous community, uh, born and raised on reserve, uh, left at a fairly early age, uh, been involved as an adult through uh, real estate uh, development, sales, marketing, uh, finance, uh, our last major project was a $500 million project in uh, the Vancouver area. We got caught in the 2008 meltdown, financial meltdown. And um, yeah, at that time, my chief in the Yukon asked me to come back and uh, get involved. And, uh, and, and I did and saw and realized that uh, it's not about more money coming to First Nations. It is about the, the heart and the mind and the soul of, of the people that are living uh, at homes. And... In that context, I decided to run as chief, and we ran on. I ran on a platform of wellness, became chief, and uh, long story short, uh, we planted seeds. But it takes time for those seeds to to nurture. Other First Nations across the country are at different stages of that nurturing of development, and uh, and at different stages of solving their housing problems, education problems, and so forth. So, interesting challenges to what we can do together to. Uh, to move these solutions and uh, better wellness and lifestyles forward. And what is your current project, Ed? We're working on uh, 3D printed dome homes. So it's uh, taking advantage of the exponential technologies that are uh, changing our lives, whether most people are aware of it or not, the changes are coming fast. And I think it's important that Indigenous businesses are aware of these changes and uh, it would be interesting and nice to see businesses take the lead instead of following behind. So uh, with, through the 3D printing, we are bringing dome homes to the market that are 30% less in cost and uh, can be built in less than a month uh, for somebody to move into. Uh, this is using our traditional circle uh, as as the basis of our technology, and uh, I think it's really exciting. And I think it's a, a movement people should uh, should be should be uh, uh, part of, and excited to see where it goes. Now, Ed, you have a website called Smart Villages. We do, and, and, and why why is it uh, both? It's something besides building. Then, what is the other component to? Uh, building community. I mentioned housing first because housing is, in our opinion, is the foundation of the social impact, the, the wellness of uh, other aspects of good health, good education, good job uh, preparedness, and uh, creating flourishing communities. So the housing is the foundation of, of that. And what is your ask uh, presently? What, what do you need to uh, make this happen on a pilot basis and to grow it nationally and, and hopefully internationally? The technology is at a stage to do a pilot project. So it's moved itself through prototype concepts and, and to that point of doing a pilot. So we are ready to do a pilot. Uh, we could do it this year. 
the organization is Smart Villages as a corporation is looking for $500,000, which is the, the startup cost to, to get this off the ground. And who are some of the people that support what you're doing? Uh, we've got a, a vast number of people from across the country, United States, and uh, that are, are uh, living in indigenous communities that are involved in university. Uh, without naming specific names, there, there's a lot of support. And more, and more can come. Okay. And you have a very uh, strong board of directors. Can you tell us a few of the names on the board of directors? Uh, yeah, we, we've got uh, Chief Phil Lane. Uh, Chief Phil Lane, uh, if, you, if you Google him, is uh, very uh, influential on world uh, indigenous politics, if you will, and uh, very much a spiritual healer that uh, has a huge reach and impact uh, and has has done a lot over the course of his life. Uh, we've got uh, Greg Fitzgerald, who is uh, also a uh, been to Singularity University with me, and uh, a young guy, very involved in technology, uh, also teaching out UBC, so uh, well-rounded, well-connected. Uh, with us, Scott is uh, also involved in uh, creativity, and that, that's that's the core of it. And uh, Peter, you also contributed uh, to that. And Ed, uh, you had the experience, uh, I don't know whether it's a year or two years ago, to go to a very unique uh, academic institution. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Love to. Um, when I uh, was finished being the chief of our First Nation government, uh, I came away with a deep appreciation for the problems of housing and uh, really dis really made a commitment that there's got to be a, a way to solve this. And I went to uh, a meeting put on by the Assembly of First Nations in Winnipeg. It wasn't a meeting. It was a gathering of about 600 uh, chiefs and uh, uh building managers and so forth and and you know I realized there's a solution for this uh, issue and problem and it's it's if we get together we can all solve this so long story short uh, one step led to another and there was a competition in Canada for Singularity University of which I was one of the winners which put me support uh, Google actually paid for uh, the cost to send me down to NASA Air Force Base in, in um, Singularity, pardon me, Singularity University in NASA Air Force Base in San Jose, California, for uh, nine weeks of uh, 24/7. Just some of the best minds in the world were were there as speakers, as presenters. Uh, and I need to step up and say that there was 89 other people selected from around the world who had won similar contests, and there were something like 5,000 people or more that had actually uh, tried to be a part of this cohort. So a real phenomenal network of people uh, that are leading uh, the, the changes that we're experiencing. Uh, you know, Peter Diamandis, of course, is a co-founder of Singularity University, uh, part of SpaceX. Uh, you know, it's just all the big names here in technology are, are part of, uh, are known or are part of the Singularity Circle. So uh, we've got an opportunity to, to really reach out and, and uh leverage this network and uh, bring these technologies to indigenous businesses 
I think it's exciting. And finally, your website is? Smartvillages.ca. Okay, thank you. Stephen, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Oh, sure. I have a master's of industrial psychology. I spent a lot of my corporate career working in corporate Canada. I am Métis, uh, really from Uranium City, and I was part of the 60s scoop, so I didn't really have that same cultural connection that Ed had with, uh, with reserves. Uh, more recently, I took on a role with a not-for-profit, so again, slightly different from what Ed was talking about, an urban centre. And we took that, it was just a small employment agency, actually, and we uh, had funding challenges my really first day on the job. And we've since grown it into a really a center of healing. And where Ed was talking about housing being important, or maybe the most important from my perspective, it's about healing. I read so often um, the challenges of, if you think about the perspective of people in prisons, like 50% or actually more than 50% of females in prison are indigenous. Uh, And it's not quite as bad for male indigenous, but similar. And if you think about children in care, it's usually somewhere between 75 and 90%, depending on the region, are indigenous for children in care also. And I, I would say that most of those really stem from a lack of healing. So what we did was uh, last year we bought a church, uh, spent a year renovating it, and started the process, I guess, yeah, started the process of, well, building it, but also creating that center of healing. Part of what's creating a model for healing, and the other part of it is in relation to uh, building a process for healing, because I think it's it's important to have multiple avenues and meeting people where they're at and giving them multiple opportunities to engage in that process. So currently what we have, uh, we were awarded a contract for an early on site. uh, And we have probably one of the busiest early on centers in Ontario right now. Uh, I think last week we had 50 minutes, sorry, 75 children, I think it was, in one day. And we're currently looking at somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 uh, visitors a month now. And this is, we've only been open for three months. It's just absolutely incredible. And we always had the employment agency, so we have funding from uh, municipal, like, sorry, provincial funding, which is through one of the ministries, MTCU, so colleges and universities, as well as uh, through the Ontario Federation of Indigenous Friendship Centers. So we have both Indigenous funding for employment as well as uh, non-Indigenous. So what we have, when you think about that, is we have children zero to six in the early on center that we can work with, and we have uh, really from 16 or 18 onwards uh, that we can do employment and uh, training with. So for us, it's about closing the gap and creating services and programs that meet that middle ground, really that 6 to 16 age group. So what we uh, started doing with our early on center is we developed uh, a Halloween lending library. I know that sounds 
simple, but basically it's Halloween costumes that people can borrow because we have in our region a population of, I think it's 50,000 Indigenous people, give or take a little bit. So it's quite a large urban population for Indigenous people. And our region is uh, Kitchener-Waterloo and surrounding area. And Stephen, you also you have about, a bicycle uh, shop. We do. That was uh, that was really recently, actually. So we um, we won a, a pitch with the United Church, actually, for uh, really a bicycle lending library. It's the same as the Halloween lending library. That's where it was created from, really. It's about taking the costs away from people so they can focus on other things like food, housing, uh, transportation to and from work. And the Halloween, sorry, the bicycle lending library is absolutely fabulous when you think about it. Most people, when they were growing up, had a bicycle. It's how they got together for play, how they got to work, how they got together socially. And it's like the ultimate green machine when you think about it our concept for the bicycle lending library and the bicycle could have been donated to us. I just got another six of them yesterday from uh, Knights of Columbus, actually. And I had another, I think 25 or six from uh, another organization that gave us kids bikes. Our local police are going to be donating us another 60 or hundred bikes so we can get that up and operational in the spring. And basically it's, it's going to be sweat equity for people who want to, build a bike or repair a bike and then the bike is theirs and we'll outfit them with helmets and bells and uh, locks so they can uh, really have their asset going forward. Another thing that we're building is a technology hub. Uh, again, a technology hub for youth because indigenous people have about a 500% in the urban setting higher dropout rate than non-indigenous. And for us, we want to provide the coaching and the mentoring and the tutoring uh, so they succeed in school and academically, so they can go on to college, university if they desire, and uh, really get higher-paying jobs or begin that cycle of work, really. And these are just some of the elements of things that we're building. The technology hub is really just a progenitor for a STEM or a STEAM school that we're going to be planning to build probably three or four years from now as part of this whole uh, process. In the meantime, we'll probably uh, launch, I know that's kind of a funny word, a canoe building school, uh, birch bark canoe that is. Again, it's the idea of land-based learning to provide culture and give culture back uh, that was taken away for Indigenous people as part of the healing uh, process. Stephen, thank you. That's uh, that's terrific. In terms of an ask of the uh, community, what what are you asking for? Ah, uh, well, right now, and I, I guess I, I probably didn't mention a couple things. We're also starting a thrifting program, and for those who don't know what thrifting is, it's it's in social media now. It's it's even in music. Thrifting is basically going to a thrift store and basically upscaling or revisioning or refashioning clothing and, and suiting it for you. So we're looking at uh, sewing machines uh, through the Trillium Foundation and going from there to create a program that will enable people to, again, 
basically get clothes for free um, by upscaling them. And by doing this, uh, we this all started because people have been donating us right now uh, children's clothing. We probably get, I don't know, two to three thousand dollars of children's clothing a week, sometimes more. And the idea is by having this clothing that's in our really popular early on center, families in need can just go to our supply cupboard. It's all sorted by age and gender. So people can really just take what they want. I mean, we have diapers from Pampers and products from Johnson and Johnson, a lot of donations that we've received, right. And uh, toothbrushes and things like that too. Right. So it's, in terms of what our needs are, uh, right now, we will continue to ask for children's clothing. Uh, if people have an unused bicycle they don't want, uh, we would happily take that donation. And what we will do with that, it will become part of that library that people can use. And the idea behind the library is when you think about it, children outgrow bicycles every couple of years. So they can use it for a couple, bring it back to us, and the next person can repair it and use it for their children. So basically it's taking resources that already exist and reusing them in a way that makes better sense. Uh, it's really that social innovation piece of it, right? If people want to donate $50 to us, what that will do is get us a helmet, a lock, and a bell for the children who have need of those. If people want to make donations either in clothing or some other service or something, for the early on center, absolutely. Uh, we'll be looking for tutors and mentors for our technology hub so we can start tutoring and mentoring on uh, STEM subjects, so science, technology, engineering, and math. And we also started another social venture, which you're probably not even aware of, Peter. Uh, we started a window washing company, which I plan on focusing uh, this year, actually. And we're launching that uh, in full. And so we're looking for clients for windows uh, who want their windows washed. And basically for us, it's sweat equity. We'll do the equity and we'll donate the money to, because uh, we're a charity, right? We'll donate the money to our charity to basically fund these other programs. Because a lot of our programs are actually quite underfunded. We're probably about $250,000 underfunded where we need to be. So we'll wash windows and raise funds that way. Uh, okay, where can people uh, reach you and see your website, uh, Stephen? Oh, absolutely. So our website is aocan.org, so AOCAN. And AOCAN is just a short form for our name, which is Anishinaabeg Outreach. It's really Anishinaabeg Outreach Employment and Training. But if people just go to our website, aocan.org, uh, they can find us. Or they can just send me an email, Stephen, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N, so Stephen P-H, and at aocan.org, and they can connect with us that way. Uh, we offer tours. There's probably pictures of our site, and if they want to join us on uh, Facebook or Twitter or um, Instagram, they absolutely can, and they can see just hundreds and hundreds of pictures of, you know, our space, the children, and all the other things that we're doing as part of the center of healing okay that's great i think uh people will be reaching out to you in terms of the community innovation hub that i'm involved in a couple of programs that i've been talking to both these gentlemen about is our homeless entrepreneur and incarcerated 
entrepreneur program where in about six weeks we can uh, help uh, those that are unemployed or incarcerated or homeless start a business. And we've identified 150 businesses that could be started for under $50. So that program, a pilot has already been run with the homeless community and it was very successful. And uh, one of the homeless people, just as a matter of interest to our listeners, is Tim, who uh, robbed four banks in the Toronto area and was in jail for five years. And then he became homeless. Well, I met Tim at a library in Ontario, and we were doing a session, and he said, Peter, I got to go for a smoke. And on his way out, he saw a quarter on the floor, and he picked it up, and he had a choice of keeping it or giving it to the guy whose pocket it fell out of. He decided to give it to, to the fellow. So he went out for a smoke, and I went over to the guy, and I noticed he was marking papers. And I said, are you a high school teacher? He said, yes. And I told him about the program, The Homeless Entrepreneur. And uh, his name was Ben. And Tim came back in, and we finished our session on operations. And on the way out, Ben gave Tim a $50 bill to help start a business. So, I mean, that's, that's what makes this all worthwhile to be in social innovation and social enterprise. And I'd like to thank both our guests today and look forward to the next session very shortly.